Did you know Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth? And the truth shall do what? The Bible says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Did you know there was a difference between setting a man free and making a man free? The word set, follow the example. In my hand, I have a clicker, amen? Now, I can take this clicker. Amen. I can take this clicker in my hand, amen? And I can set it on this side of the pulpit, or I can take the very same clicker, and I can set it, I can do what? Set it on this side of the pulpit. Do you know that when you change the setting, all you've ever done was change the location? If the only thing the Bible is able to do is set men free, then what we are saying is all Christ can do is change our location. That Jesus can take a sinner from New York like me and bring him to Battle Creek, Michigan and set him here as a sinner before you. Beloved, the gospel is better than that. Did you know that? The Bible says not that Jesus will take the truth and merely set you free. Jesus can actually make you free. Now, I told you there was a difference between the word set and make. Do you know the word make implies creative power? If I took a man from Rikers Island in New York today, and I took him off of that, that island, maybe he was serving life for some, for some crime, I don't know what it may be, but I took that man and I set him in California, would that man still be the criminal he was when I took him from the prison cell? If I took a wolf ravening and, 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 and snarling and ready to eat uh, 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 somebody, and I took it out of its cage, and I set it free right in the pew right here, I pray you would leave, because that's dangerous, isn't it? The wolf is still the ravening wolf. But when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about a God who has given us the word of truth that is able to do more than change our location, but to actually make us free, we're talking about a God who can take a prisoner, and though that's what he was before, make that man a free man. We're talking about a, a, a savior who has a truth that is so powerful that it can take the person whose personality is like the ravening wolf. And Jesus can make us as harmless as the lambs in heaven. Do we want that truth? There's transformative power right there for you and I. Now, before I move forward, I want us to take a look at the title for tonight's presentation. Have I committed the unpardonable sin. What sort of sin did I say? By show of hands, how many of us in this room, before reading that uh, title, already knew that there was something in the Bible known as a sin that could not be pardoned? Have you ever wondered? I remember when I was a child. Uh, forgive me, Lord. Before I say that, Sister Ashley says a welcome. She's watching us online. She's not here with me tonight, but I know you guys are watching and wondering where my better half is. It's all right. 
She's watching from home online. She wasn't uh, able to clock out until 8 o'clock, which is a few minutes from now. Uh, but she is watching us, and she's praying, and she wishes she could be here with you guys. She, you know, before we left, she, she kneeled with me, and we prayed in our living room. And she's talking to me. She's saying, man, I see tears welling up in her eyes. She's saying, man, I, I wish I could be there with you. This thing is so painful to, to have been there Friday and Sabbath and Sunday, and then Monday I can't go, and Tuesday I can't go. Sister Ashley longs to be here with you, beloved. She, she feels as though she's, she's, uh, she's missing out on a family meeting. So keep her in prayer as she's praying for you. Amen? I'll t- she can hear. They say hi, Sister Ashley. Praise the Lord. Now, when I was younger, I remember uh, my mother had a very special Bible. We called it our family Bible. And it would be in the living room, and during you know, family worship, we'd come together, my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and we would sit down and we'd read from this Bible. And I remember that throughout the Bible, there were pictures of specific things. If you wanted to know about the Exodus, there was a painting of Moses and the Ten Commandments. If you wanted to see Joseph, there was a painting of Joseph and his brothers. If you wanted to see the Ten Commandments, there was a painting of, guess what? The Ten Commandments. So I would sit there in my room. I had to be uh, maybe eight years old, nine years old. And I'd sit there looking at, the, looking at the, the commandments of God, and I'd be reading it. Thou shalt not kill. All right, Lord, I've never done that. Thou shalt not steal. Did that mango count? Thou shalt not have other gods be... And I'm reading these things, and as I'm going through it, uh, my mind, in my mind, I'm just wondering to myself, Lord, have I done something that would put me in a position where you can't love me or you can't forgive me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever wondered that? Have I gone far enough, Lord? How far can I go before you stop pursuing me? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? That is the study for tonight. Now, just in case we don't get through all of the curriculum for tonight, I'm going to remind you again that there are handouts, amen? They're available to everyone in the back there, and we can all have the handout. But also, just in case we don't get through all the curriculum, I'm going to tell you from right now, there is not a sin in this world that you and I could commit that would ever stop Jesus from loving us. I told you two or three nights ago, I'm losing count now, Irrespective of whether we choose to be saved or lost, you can't erase the fact that you're loved, beloved. Who you are right now does not dictate who God is. God is who he is. And as we learn who he is, as we study that love, it melts the carnal heart. And by his grace, there is hope for sinners even like me to be transformed. How far can I go until God stops pursuing me? Do you want to know the answer? Do you want to know the answer? I'm about to put my clicker away, beloved. You got to talk to me a little bit. Let's advance in our study. Now, on our screen, we have two buckets of popcorn. I want us to understand that in the Word of God, there are two types of sin. How many types did I say? Two types. We're going to see that in a moment. Even as on our screen, we find that there are two types of popcorn listed here. You have the sweet, which some of you may like, and then you have the salty, which some of you may like. Now, question, how many of you have ever eaten popcorn before? How many of you are happy when kernels get stuck in your teeth? Everybody's hands went up about popcorn, but nobody likes kernels, my brother. Nobody wants the kernel stuck in their teeth. You know, you're sitting there and you're trying to get it out, and it's just very annoying, isn't that so? So while the popcorn is good, whether it's sweet or salty, the fact is you risk getting kernels 
kernels, excuse me, stuck in your teeth. Isn't that right? Question. If I eat the sweet popcorn, I can avoid the kernels. Isn't that right? No? All right. That side of the room. If I eat the salty popcorn, perhaps then I can avoid the kernels. Isn't that right? No. Whether I choose sweet or salty, kernels is what I get if I eat the two. Isn't that right? Either or. Beloved, in the same way, I'm telling you from right now that there are two types of sin. But whichever type of sin it is, at the end of the day, guess what it still is? Sin. Now, I want us to see this from the Bible because I don't want anybody leaving here thinking that our understanding of the Bible is that sin is in any case excusable. There is enough blood in the... uh, uh, I'm giving things away before we've even gotten there. There is enough, what's the word? Power in the blood to cleanse us of all sin. Do we believe that? Does it matter if it's sweet or salty? There's power for it. Praise the Lord. I'm not saying I've tasted sin in that way. You, you understand. There are two categories of sin, beloved. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, the Bible says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is what? Not unto death. Category number one. I want us to write this down if we're taking notes. The first category of sin, according to the Bible, is called a sin that is not unto death. But the Bible continues. If any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is, however, a sin unto death. So do we see that there is both a sin that is not unto death and what the Bible calls a sin that is unto death? Do we see that? Two categories. The Bible says, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Now, many of us may be thinking in our minds, Brother Paul, I don't know what that means. There's a sin that is not unto death, and there is a sin that is unto death. Yesterday, we saw in Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is... So then how, Brother Paul... Is the Bible now saying that there is a specific sin that doesn't lead to death? Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 1. We're going in our Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 1. We want to understand from the Word of God, what are these two categories of sin? And how can I be sure that if I have committed sin, it hasn't been the unpardonable one? Amen? 1 John chapter 1, that's where we're going in our Bibles. And we're going to begin at verse 9. You can say amen when you're with me. The Bible says, if, what does the Bible say? If, what does the word if mean, brothers and sisters? On condition, isn't that right? Follow the thought. The Bible says, if we say, or rather verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is what? faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful 
to forgive us and to do what? Cleanse us. Do we know that there are at least two? In fact, let me, let me, let me fix that statement. No. There are, in fact, two phases of forgiveness in the Bible. There are two phases of forgiveness in the Bible in the same way there are two categories of sin in the Bible. You have the sin that is not unto death, category one, and then you have the sin that is unto death, category two. Now the Bible said if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us. Is that right? Have any of us ever asked ourselves what that means? I mean, think about it. By what act has God demonstrated that he's forgiven you? By what act? The death of Jesus on the cross. Amen? How many of you confessed your sins to Jesus before he did that for you? My sister says we couldn't have. We weren't even here. It's impossible for us to go back into 31 AD, all the way those years ago, and to ask Jesus anything. Jesus had to take initiative. He had to take what? Initiative. Beloved, when you study the Bible, whether you're in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way through Revelation, you will see that God is not a reactive God. He is not a God that is caught by surprise by anything you or I can do. He is a God that sees the emergency and guess what? Makes provision to meet it. Do you know that God was not caught by surprise at the condition in which we find ourselves tonight? How do you confess and ask God to forgive you before the forgiveness price is paid? Not possible. God has to forgive us before we can appreciate that gift. And be led to him. The Bible says, do you know Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Do you know the Bible says that we love him because he? So then your loving God, your obedience to God hinges on God's love for you. If there was no sacrifice on the cross, God could not expect of you the loving obedience that he's looking for today. I want us to go back to the text because I'm trying to make a point right here. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to know that in this text, forgiveness has two phases. The first is unconditional. It is what? And the second, beloved, is conditional. The first phase of, condition, uh, of forgiveness, rather, we call it pardon. Do you know that there's nothing you can do to change the fact that God has pardoned you, that God loves you, that God did that for you back on the cross? But the second phase of forgiveness, the Bible calls it cleansing. Jesus cannot cleanse you of sins that you cling to. Do you know that Jesus is not a thief? If I choose to be a liar and to continue in lying all the way until Christ comes, do you know that Jesus would never forcibly take away the lies that I love so much? Jesus is not a thief. The only way he can cleanse us, the only way he can take away that which has separated us from him is if we willingly choose to submit those things to Jesus. In order to save us from our sin, Jesus must cleanse us thoroughly. No unrighteousness will enter heaven, 2 Peter 3 and verse 13. 
all sin must go. We must surrender all to his cleansing power and recognize the distinction and the reason for these two categories. But keep in mind, beloved, this distinction is not a license to continue in sin. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. I want us to see that there is no biblical reason for us to continue in sin as we are, not when we serve a God whose power is mighty enough to save. In the book of Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, the apostle Paul said these words, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Do you know that there are those today in the world who believe that grace is a license to continue in sin? But when we study it from the word of God, beloved, we see that grace is not a license to sin. It is actually power from God to overcome. God wants to set us free from the things that have been destroying our homes, destroying our families, destroying our marriages, destroying our relationships with our children, our friends, our loved ones. God wants to fix us, beloved. And so long as sin is in the picture, it is impossible for a God that cleanses to overlook that. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul forbid. Is that what your Bible says? The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, God forbid. For how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In order for us to truly accept the Savior from sin, we have to give that Savior every sin. What do you say? It's quiet, so that means we don't know. Matthew 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, Jesus is his name, for he shall save his people, how? From their sins. John chapter 1 and verse 29 says, he is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And I'm telling you, Jesus is not a thief. If we don't give it to him, he can't take it. That's the only way that we can be rid of sin in our lives, beloved. But I have a question now. What is the sin that the Bible said is not unto death. How many of you think it's lying? I hear laughter, so we don't think it's that one. All right. How many of you think it is uh, committing adultery? That one won't get you killed. There's silence. Husbands, let me tell you something. We got to be careful. That, that's a sin that might get us put to death. Isn't that right? What about... What about uh, dishonoring your mother and your father, your parents? No. In a book called Selected Messages, book one, I want to share this wonderful statement with you. It says, justice demands that sin be not merely pardoned, beloved, but that the death penalty must be executed. That's why Jesus died. God, in the gift of his only begotten son, met both of these requirements. By dying in man's stead, Christ did what? exhausted the penalty and provided a pardon. Question, that word exhausted, when we talk about Jesus exhausting the penalty for our sin, do you know that the word, how many of you have ever been exhausted before? Amen, amen. Some of you have more energy than me. You've never been exhausted? Listen, the Bible says that, that Jesus was, uh, the, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Here we read that Christ exhausted the penalty of sin. To be exhausted is to have nothing more left in you. When you've reached exhaustion, you are tired, you are emptied, you are depleted, you have nothing left. The tank is on E, isn't that right? 
Now, how many of you could drive a car with an exhausted gas tank? The car won't move, my sister. The car will stay right there unless you're using some type of special... Let me know. I don't know if you have an electric car. That's all right. Let me know. In the same way that the car will not move with an exhausted gas tank, the fact that Christ exhausted the penalty for our sin should tell us that there's no one in this room who should be lost because of anything Jesus died for. It's quiet. Good. I want us to think. The fact that Jesus exhausted, that means there's nothing there for you left, exhausted the penalty should tell you that there's not a person in this room who can commit any of those sins and that be the reason why you're lost. Now, did Brother Paul say, why am I speaking in third person, Lord, help me. Did I say that if we sin, we won't be lost? Is that what I said? What I said was if you're a liar... You're not lost because you're a liar. If you're a thief, you're not lost because you're a thief. Is the thief lost if he chooses to remain that way? But the reason why the thief and the liar and the murderer and the adulterer are lost is not because of those sins. Christ exhausted the penalty for that. The reason why they're lost is because they've rejected the provision of God to make them more than what they were. God can take a thief, and that's fine. Come as you are. But I've told you, Jesus would never send you away as you were. Do you know that the thief that comes to Jesus leaves a man that preaches truth and truth alone? The adulterer that comes to Jesus leaves a man and a woman that are faithful in their home. Little heavens on earth. Praise God. Do you know that the person who has been murdering all their life that comes to Jesus, Jesus will use that man, will use that woman to preserve life and even lead men to everlasting life? We're not lost because of those things, beloved. Those things are fruit, testimonies to the fact that we have rejected the, uh, the, the provision of God in Christ Jesus to make us better than we were when we were those things. So while the sinner will be lost, the sinner is not lost because of sin. He is truly lost because of unbelief. Unbelief. Small word. Big consequences. Small word. Big consequences. The sin that is not unto death, beloved, are the, are the, the sins for which Christ exhausted the penalty. Is idolatry on that altar. Did Jesus die for the idolater? Yes, he did. What about taking God's name in vain? Did Jesus die for those who do that? Yes, he did. Jesus died for the breaking of the Sabbath. Jesus died for dishonoring of parents. Jesus died for the murderer, for the adulterer, for the liar, and for the covetous. All of these things were laid on him, the Bible said, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, if we're not living in the healing that he has provided, that's an issue. If we're still living in the things that were placed upon Christ, that's an issue. Do you remember the story I gave you yesterday, uh, the uh, analogy rather, about the grenade with the pin outside of it? I want you to think, don't answer, just think, how many of us still have the grenade without the pin in our hands? Have we truly been saved from sin or is sin right there in our pocket? 
just waiting for the right time to explode and to take us out. Let me tell you something, beloved. Jesus has already paid that penalty. There is no reason for you and I to die. This is why in the Old Testament, many times, God asked Israel the question, why will you die? I mean, think about it. What sense does it make for you and I, poor as we are, to pay the price that we couldn't even afford? Jesus paid it all. And all to him we owe, beloved. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus can wash us white as snow. These sins, beloved, are not the reason for our condemnation, but they are the fruit and not the root. Is it making sense? If it's not making sense, beloved, we're going to have to stop and pray. Is it beginning to make sense a little bit? That these sins are not the fruit of condemnation, they are the root of condemnation. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 19, and Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 through 15, that the fact that these sins aren't why you're lost is no excuse to continue living that way. You know, Jesus said, think not that I have come to destroy the law. I have not come to destroy the law. I've actually come to fulfill it. Now we're in a series called Jesus on what? Prophecy. Do you know that prophecy, when it is passed, is called prophecy what? Fulfilled. Think about that. Why would Jesus say, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it? Could it be that when God wrote that law, God had a version of you in mind that only Jesus could fulfill? That when God saw you in your sinful condition, God said, if I get a hold of Brother Paul, he will have no other gods before me. Jesus says, I agree. Let's do it. Jesus says, when I see Brother Paul, he will uh, honor his mother. He will not lie. He will not steal. This is what I am able to do with him. The law is not an invitation to your strength. Let me tell you, you have none at all. The Bible says all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Any one of us that go to the law thinking that we can commit the law in legalistic ideology, we're going to find ourselves very disappointed. God doesn't want legalism from you or I. What he wants is the religion of the heart. His covenant is that he would take his law and he would write it in our hearts and we would be his people and he would be our God. So we have no excuse to continue in sin, but now we understand that none of these sins can you point to and tell me that that's why such and such are lost. That is not the reason. We can only be lost if we reject the provision of God to make us better than what we were before. Unbelief. Now, this man on the screen, uh, you don't know him, but I, I mentioned him and I shared a, a quotation with him uh, yesterday, E.J. Wagner, a man that I look up to. And one of the things he said in a wonderful book he wrote, it's called Salvation in Jesus Christ. He said, Christ gave himself for our sins, Galatians 1 verse 4. That is to say, he bought them. He did what? He bought them. And he paid the price for them. This is a simple statement of fact. When we hear a man say that he gave so much for a certain thing, we know that that thing belongs to him because he has bought it. Christ purchased you and me and all of our sins. Amen? Do our sins belong to Christ because he committed them? They belong to Jesus because he did what? Purchased them. So when the Holy Spirit tells us that Christ gave himself for our sins we should be equally sure that they belong to him and not to us. 
They are ours no longer, and we have no right to them. He says, the fact is that Christ has bought us together with our sins and has paid the price. Therefore, where is, there is no room for the question, will he accept us? Think about it. How many of you can walk into a store and make a purchase and then stand there at the counter with what you purchase, wondering if you're going to take it home? You walk into the grocery store and you purchase all of the produce you want, all of the water you want. Some of you perhaps may want some milk. We'll talk about that another time. But as you take these things into your home, uh, or rather, while you take these things to the counter, they're ringing it up and, you know, it may come up to a certain amount of money. You take the money out, you pay for it, and then you say, thank you. Thank you very much. And you walk out and you leave the bags? Does that make sense, beloved? The thing we purchase is the thing we want. So the fact that we have bought it means that we're going to take it with us. What do you say? Jesus is the same way. Jesus is the same way. The fact that he has bought us, therefore, there is no room for any question, will he accept us? He has already accepted you. He says, why does a man buy an article at the store? Because he wants it, beloved. If he has paid the price for it, having examined it so as to know what he is buying, does the merchant worry lest he will not accept it? Not at all. The merchant knows that it is his business to get the goods to the purchaser as soon as possible. There is no chance for anyone to object, but I am so sinful and unworthy. That makes no difference. You guys are not understanding what we're reading right now. We may be thinking to ourselves, Brother Paul, I am so sinful. You don't understand what I am. Jesus purchased you. Do you not suppose that before he made the purchase, Jesus understood in a correct estimation what it was that he was buying? The Bible says that God remembers us. He knows that we are but dust. He understands what we are. And in spite of what you and I are on our own, Jesus paid the price. Do you know the reason why sometimes we find it difficult to, to work with one another and to love one another is because we fail to see the value of every soul? We claim to be Christians, beloved, but when it comes to that person that has stepped on our toes, that has said something we don't like, or that has been uh, uh, moving in a way that we found funny or, 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 or shady or however you want to terminalize it, terminalize it, we treat them in a mind that is altogether different from how Christ treats us. Do you know Jesus does not identify us with our sins? I'm going to talk to you guys over here. Jesus does not identify you with your sin. But Brother Paul, I've lied before. Do you know that when Jesus comes to you, he doesn't say a liar. He says, my daughter, my son, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. When Jesus goes to the murderer in prison, do you know that the only reason why Jesus can win him is because he deals with him not as a murderer, but as a son, a prodigal son in need of his loving father? Beloved, how we treat one another is a direct uh, uh, testament to what we think the value of Jesus on that cross truly was. I think it is better to treat a man according to the purchase that is on him than according to the estimation we think he has. Jesus is expensive, beloved. Jesus is expensive. E.J. Wagner says, but, but I am so sinful and unworthy. That 
makes no difference. A man will accept what he deliberately purchases, especially if he has paid a great price for it. And Christ gave not $100,000, beloved. He gave himself for our sins. There is nothing in the whole universe that God desires so much as us and all the sins that we have. We have only to praise the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16. Beloved, uh, we, we still have some time together. But after reading that statement, I'm ready to get on my knees and to pray and to close. Listen, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understanding what God thinks about me. Do you you understand that that there are people in this world who have low self-esteem problems? If God can esteem us in such a way as to do this when we could do nothing for ourselves, do you think that there's a cure for self-esteem issues? There are people that are struggling with schizophrenia and all these things. Do you know that the gospel has a cure for that too? Let this mind. No, we didn't know that the gospel touched psychology. We didn't know that Jesus cared about those things. We didn't know that Jesus, let me tell you something, beloved. Jesus is an invasive lover. Respectfully. What I mean by that is every area of our experience, he is willing to go there with us to reach us exactly where we are and to bring us to guess where? exactly where he is. I'm talking about Jesus, the lover of my soul this morning. Thank you, my brother. <laughs> this evening. Now, the Bible, the Bible uh, speaks about the unpardonable sin in another way over here in the Bible. It says that the unpardonable sin is against the Holy Spirit. It is against who? Do you know that in order to understand why that is so, you would have to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit's work concerning you and I in the plan of salvation. In the book of Matthew chapter 12, from the mouth of Jesus himself, it says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Jesus says, if you reject, if you blaspheme, if you deny the working of the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that, not only in this world, but guess what? In the world to come. Those are the words of Jesus. Now question, why would the lovely Jesus say something like that? Is God a forgiving God? Do you think there's an unpardonable sin because there's not enough mercy on God for that sin? If there's an unpardonable sin, it can't be because there's a lack of mercy on the part of God. It would have to be because we're burning the only bridge to him. Follow me on your screen. The Bible speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Did you know in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, the Bible tells us that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment? In other words, if you and I reject the working of the Holy Spirit, there's no conviction to let us know of our need of a Savior. 
Is that an important work? The Bible says, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that it is he and he alone that guides us into all truth. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, I am the? So then it's the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us, guess to who? Jesus. This is why Jesus said, you can speak against me all you want. All the Holy Spirit is going to do is keep convicting your heart and convicting your heart to lead you back to me. But the moment you turn those same words upon the Holy Spirit, who alone can bring you to Jesus, do you understand that after Christ, there's no Savior? The Bible says there is no other name. There is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, it is he that guides us to him. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 2 that it is the Holy Spirit that works righteousness in us. Now, the other night we saw that it is the righteous alone who have a place in heaven. And we came to the conclusion that if that is biblically so, God has to do something with us to make us what we are not because Quite frankly, I'm not righteous in and of myself, but I serve a righteous Savior. What do you say? And if he is righteous, I believe that through association with him, that by beholding him, I too may become changed. But all the while, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Do you know it's not you and I that God expects to do the living? He says, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, Jesus is altogether necessary, don't you say? So then if the Holy Spirit is the only one that can lead you to him, how can God pardon you when you reject his work? Are we following? Are we understanding? It's like building a bridge from one side of the church to the next. And the only way for you, my brother, to get to that other side, where Christ is, is for you to take, guess what, that bridge. But once you've burned the bridge down, can you wonder why it is that the person on the other side says, I cannot reach you? That is how significant the work of the Holy Spirit is in our, in our experience. Many of us, are, we're experiencing too low of a Christianity, and it's not because the Bible is not uh, uh, perfect and it's not good enough to, to, to make us better. It's because we lack the Holy Spirit, to the extent that God desires to work in you and I. Everything about Christianity that we're hoping to be, the Bible uh, uh, summarizes it in very simple words. He says, those are the fruit of the Spirit. And so without the Holy Spirit, can we have those fruit? Absolutely not. And this is why the Bible speaks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, speaking against the Holy Spirit, the rejection of the Holy Spirit as an unpardonable sin, not because God does not want to pardon, but you have put him in a position where he literally cannot. Do you know that the reason why unbelief in the Bible is the unpardonable sin is for one reason? The reason why unbelief is an unpardonable sin is because unbelief acknowledges no Savior. Jesus can't save a man who doesn't believe that that's what he wants to do. If we choose to cling to unbelief and we only uh, uh, achieve righteousness by what? Somebody said batteries? What was that? We only receive righteousness by faith. Amen? Is that biblical? Do you know that another word for faith is simply belief? That, it's what you believe. 
If righteousness only comes by faith, but we choose to remain in unbelief, then righteousness can never reach us. I showed you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 that righteousness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Righteousness is Christ. Christ cannot reach the man who chooses to abide in unbelief. That is why it is an unpardonable sin. It acknowledges no savior. It acknowledges no need for cleansing. It acknowledges no God but self. In the Desire of Ages, page 172, in the red words right here, it says, the Christian life is not a modification or an improvement of the old life. It is a transformation of nature. There is a death to self and to sin and a new life altogether. But this change, beloved, can be brought about only by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit. Do we need the Holy Spirit of God? Yes, we do. And I'm thankful that we serve a God who, uh, if you've studied in the book of Acts, chapter 2, read about Pentecost, beloved. Read in the book of Acts. God is more willing to give us his spirit than some of us are to ask. Did you know that? I'm going to leave that alone, Lord. I'm going to leave it alone. Because I want the spirit of God, beloved, more than anything. I know that I am destitute. I know that I can do nothing without Christ. But with God, all things are possible. And if the spirit of God would but touch earth in such a way as he did on Pentecost, did you know that there would be power enough to reach everybody in Battle Creek, Michigan? The Bible says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men. I don't care if you receive or reject. The fact of the matter at the end of the day is you are drawn by the grace of God. We need the Holy Spirit. What do you say? We need him, beloved. I spoke to you a little bit uh, a moment ago about unconditional pardon. And then I mentioned that there was also something called conditional cleansing. God will forgive us for all our sins. In fact, he has. Never mind, he will. He, he has done that. The, the sacrifice of Christ testifies to the fact that you were born, guess what? Pardoned. But in order to be cleansed, God seeks the surrender of our sin. He seeks cooperation. What does he seek? Cooperation with him. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 was the text that said, If we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible says this. I, ooh, 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 ooh. Beloved, please, follow this text. It's in the book of Ephesians. What book did I say? Ephesians. Now, now I'm giving you gospel tips. What am I giving you? Tips straight from the mouth of Jesus, my sister. These are gospel tips. These are things that every Christian should be armed with. If you have these things, you can reach anybody by the grace of God. Now, 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 now. follow. Follow carefully. Mm. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. When were we chosen, beloved? Do you know that there are some of us in this room tonight, October 5th, 2021, who have yet to choose Jesus, but Jesus chose you before the foundation of the world? It says... 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us. Let me pause there again. Do you know what the word predestination means, beloved? The word predestination means before you came into existence, God had a plan for your life. Do you know that there are some people in the Christian world today who think that God is so despotic that he has predestined some of us to be saved and some of us to be, guess what, lost? Do you know the Bible says that in Christ, every person on this planet, every person in our graves, and you know, there's some people that died in outer space, so them too. Every man that has ever existed was predestined by God not to be lost, but to be, guess what, saved. That's biblical predestination. Do you know that also with biblical predestination goes the fact that God has to respect your choice? Just because God predestined you and I to be saved in Christ does not negate the fact that if I choose tonight to say I don't want any more of the Holy Spirit, I'm tired of conviction, Lord. God has to step back. God has chosen you from the foundation of the world. The Bible says he is Jesus. Revelation chapter uh, 3, I believe it is. Uh, No, it's Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. The Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Way back then, beloved, before we had an opportunity to sin, before we had an opportunity to repent, God was committed to you and I who were still enemies in our disposition towards him. I'm going to keep going now. I keep stopping because this thing is good, beloved. When you're studying it and you're understanding what it's saying about you, I don't know about you, but as I'm seeing it concerning myself, this is the reason why I stand before you today and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ because I recognize in the word of God a savior that actually cares about me. And I don't know about you, but I don't care what a man has to say until I know that the man cares about my condition. Jesus cares, beloved. The Bible says, having predestined us uh, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to raise, or rather to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted, where? In. Now follow the thought. God has made you accepted where? Say it louder if you've read it, beloved. God has made you accepted where? So then are you accepted outside? You'd have to stay, guess where? Follow the thought. The Bible says that God has made us accepted in the beloved Jesus. And the Bible says in whom? Where? So then we find it outside of Christ, my brother? Where do we find it? In Christ. It says in whom we have tonight redemption through his blood. And what else? The forgiveness of sins. Now, what is the topic for tonight? What are we discussing? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? The Bible says that the forgiveness of sins is something we have if we find ourselves, guess where? In Christ. By show of hands, how many of you are sure that that's where you are tonight, that you're in Christ? Every hand ought to go up in this room by the grace of God. And if not, then I'm going to ask the question again in a moment. Right here it says, only those that are where? 
in Christ have been forgiven. Only those that are in Christ have been pardoned, and only those that are in Christ have any hope of being cleansed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, here's the gospel to my soul, speaking of the Father, it says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. October 5th, 2021, where are you tonight, according to this text? In Christ Jesus. Now that's good news. Do you know why? Because we read a moment ago that the only place we have forgiveness of sins by his blood is if we are in Christ. The only way that we are accepted of God is if we find ourselves in Christ. But now the Bible is telling us that God has literally put us in the place to be both forgiven and accepted and cleansed tonight. It says we are in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, if Jesus Christ was made by God to be wisdom, what do we need if we want wisdom? Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ was made to be righteousness, what do we need in order to have righteousness? Can you then see that fitness for heaven, Christ preparing a place for you and I, does not hinge on what you and I can do for ourselves. It is all about the reception and the relationship with that man. He wants a close... Let me stop using that terminology, Lord. I told you guys I was going to say something else. I said he wants a CIP. Do you remember that? It meant a close... Speak with me. Intimate, personal relationship with you. That's what Jesus wants tonight. I believe that's what he paid for, and by the grace of God, I'm of the mind that I should give the man what he purchased. Amen? God has placed you, beloved. That you right there, it means you. It doesn't mean us. It's speaking specifically to you. God placed you in a position to be forgiven in both senses of the word. Pardoned, and if you should surrender, Cleansed. Do we want the cleansing power of God? In the book of Romans chapter 5, the Bible says these wonderful words. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were churchgoers, Christ... I don't... Beloved, you hurt my feelings when you laugh at me. What does the Bible say? It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet... Sinners, Christ died for us. So did God purchase saints or did God purchase sinners? Is there anyone in here tonight who is a sinner? Then you are the property of God. Isn't that wonderful news? It says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Beloved, one of the things that I love about God is he's so much uh, different from the way we are. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. 
And that as high as the heaven is from the earth, so is the difference between the way that God thinks about things and the way that God does things. Did you know that? While you and I may wait for reconciliation in, in, a, in this context, if I wrong you, some of you are going to wait for an apology before you forgive. Isn't that right? And if I'm honest with myself, I might do the same sometimes. We think to ourselves, Lord, that person did that wicked thing. How can I? I'll forgive them, Lord. I'm a good Christian, but I'm going to wait until they say sorry. Do you know Jesus did not wait until we said sorry before he jumped on the opportunity to save you and I? Jesus Christ does not wait for a better and repentant state of mind before he's on the move in love. There's a story in the Bible. It's called the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, there was a young man. Well, there were two of them. They were brothers. Uh, but there was a father and a young man who says, give me all that is mine. And I'm going to leave your house and I'm going to go live the way that I want to live. Now, that young man, he grew up. He was in a good, good Christian home. He's learning about Jehovah. He's learning about God. He's learning about the law. He's learning about how to honor his mother and his father and all these wonderful things. And the father says to him, you know what? I love you. Here is everything that is yours. Go and do as you please. The Bible says that the young man took everything that was his and he went and he ruined himself with what the Bible calls riotous living. The young man was at the club when he should have probably been in the church. When it was time for prayer meeting, the young man was, 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 was in the back in the corner with somebody's daughter doing something he probably should not have been doing. He was everywhere but where the Christian man ought to be. And the Bible says that at the end of the day, when he found himself with nothing left, no resources, he began to remember his father. And as he remembers his father, he's thinking to himself, my father, he's a very rich man. He has many servants. And if I would just go home and apologize and beg, my father is so good that he would make me a servant in his house. So the young man, he leaves the pigsty where he was. You know, the Bible says that this man was eating pig food. Any of you, any of you eat pig food? Do you? Well, praise God. The young man had gotten to a point where he was eating the pig food in the pigsty where he was living. The son of a rich man living like a pauper, beloved, because he forgot who he was. And more importantly, he forgot who his father was. But, 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 but following the story now in the Bible, the Bible says that the young man is running home. He's on his way back. He, he's just waiting for that position. He wants to be a servant in his father's house. He doesn't expect anything more. He doesn't expect anything less. And the Bible says that when the father saw his son coming down the road, the father saw his son. And rather than waiting for the son to even get to the first step, do you know the Bible says that as soon as he saw him, the father took off his coat and he took, he took off down the road, beloved. Some of us think that God is going to wait until we, you know, walking so far from God. God is all the way over there. And the Lord is going to wait until I get close enough so that he can swoop me up in my arms. Do you know that we are told that the second you even think... To turn back in this way, the father is already moving through Christ to reach you. The fact that the, the father in the story ran down the road from a long way to meet his son is designed to teach you and I something about the heart of God. God does not wait until you and I are perfect to meet us. But once we've met him, beloved, there is perfection in Jesus to be had. Only Jesus can do that. The son and his father are finally reconciled in the word of God. And as they're reconciled, the son is asking his father, he says, listen, um, um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry for what I did. I wasted all the money. It's all gone. 
Could you please make me a servant in your house? The father would have none of that. The father says, listen, my son is home. Kill the fattest calf. We're having a party. Get my best ring. Get my best robe. Get my best everything. Put it on my son. Because he was once lost. And now he is found. Beloved, God thinks the exact same way of you and I. I'll leave you with these final words. Do not listen to the enemy's suggestion to stay away from Christ until you have made yourself better. Until you are good enough to come to God. If you wait until then, guess what? You will never come. When Satan points to your filthy garments, repeat the promise of Jesus, he that cometh to me will I in no wise cast out. Tell the enemy that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from how much? All sin. Make the prayer of David your own. Purge me with hyssop, Lord, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Arise and go to your father. He will meet you a great way off. If you take even one step toward him, in repentance, God will hasten to enfold you in his arms of infinite love. His ear is open to the cry of the contrite soul, the very first reaching out of the heart. That may simply be coming to a a, a prophecy seminar. You following? The very first reaching out of your heart after God is known to him never. Is a prayer offered, however faltering? Never is a tear shed, however secret. Never a sincere desire after God is cherished, however weak and feeble, but the Spirit of God goes forth to meet it. Even before the prayer is uttered for the yearning of the heart uh, to be made known, grace from Christ goes forth to meet the grace that is working upon the human soul. Beloved, we serve a God who is not reactive. He is an initiator. We started off this evening with the question, have I committed the unpardonable sin? And I told you, there is nothing that you can do in this world that would stop God from loving you. Now, is sin dangerous? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus wants to take that dangerous thing. He wants to take that pinless grenade from you and I. I think we can trust him with it. Pastor Rob, maybe, maybe I should fix that statement. I know that we can trust him. Is it your desire with me as I kneel to pray to let Jesus into your life, to do a thorough work of cleansing, whatever it is, and to trust him step by step along the way? I'll tell you, beloved, it's not going to happen overnight. Some of you clean your house and your children run right in there with the mud on their shoes. You know it doesn't happen overnight, beloved. But if we would trust Jesus day by day, the same lamb who was able to take away sin is the same priest tonight who can cleanse us from all unrighteousness.